is an SPE-sponsored podcast. Well, hey, hello. Lindsay. <laughs> hello, fellow uh, Trendy Award winner. Oh, and hello to you, Trendy Award, Pinnacle, Pinnacle Trendy. We won something. We won, we won something. something. And we got to go to Washington, D.C. to go pick it up. Yeah, because, you know, you can't ship those awards. They are priceless. <laughs> right. I'm glad that I didn't leave it on the table um, and did, in fact, bring it back with me to Chicago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Mercedes did try and leave our award several times and had to be reminded she was in charge of it because it is a Stanley Cup situation. Um, but you know, when, when I come to a thing, I just am aware of what I bring mm-hmm. and not what I get while at that event. So unless it's I, guess, I guess I don't win enough trophies or things like that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't I don't know the last time I won an award. Maybe my participation trophy when I was a little loop cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am Mercedes Lindazri. And I'm Lindsay Neville. And with our powers combined, we are Plastics. The voices of resin. resin. I did it with you today. I just felt like, just felt like it. <laughs> just felt felt right. Um, so uh, we have this monthly podcast uh, all about uh, plastics. We talk with people in the plastics industry um, about what they're doing. People sometimes adjacent to the plastics industry, um, and uh, and share it with the world. Yep, and you can catch our podcast the first Friday of every month. Um, usually two weeks later, um, so like the third Friday of every month, we release the YouTube version. And then you can catch us on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, um, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Wherever a podcast is, you can find us. You know, I bet if you just Google us, you'd find us too. So, um, and we're also on social media. We have Plash Chicks uh, is our handle on Instagram and Twitter. We're starting a TikTok, but maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that. We're starting it. No, I I like that you're putting it out there. It's like manifesting it. Yeah, we're manifesting our TikTok. We have the handle on TikTok. We just have nothing done yet. It's fine. We've sent each other some funny videos. That's pretty much it. That's that's the extent of our TikToking. Um, But enough about us. Um, today, we'd like to, to introduce um, our, our very special guest, uh, Dr. Aaron Keeney, COO and co-founder of Nonspec, uh, and also adjunct professor at uh, UMass Lowell, uh, which is Lindsay's rival school, mm. um, and strategy development. Um, which, Aaron, I think that, that, was there anything else after that? You, you do, like, so many things. Uh, I think that's a... a- Good summary of my professional stuff right now. <laughs> Works. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here to chat with you both. I know it's been so long, and I'm glad you all get to see each other in person so recently. And I hope that's soon for all three of us soon. June. June. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, actually, oh, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, you had to go to my rival school, but we didn't know each other at the time. So I guess I won't take it as a slight. Um, but, you know, give us some of your... I can take it as a slide. Give us some of your um, background. How'd you get into plastics? You know, what made you go to UMass Lowell, as opposed to Penn State? Um, you know, stuff like that. 
Sure. Well, I, I guess I knew about the plastics program at UMass Lowell because my dad's a plastics engineer. So when I was going through school, he would always bring home some cool parts from the medical device world and show me what he was working on. Um, and going through school, uh, I wasn't good at math per se, but I was very diligent and I really liked that it had right answers and that I could work really hard and, and get to um, the right result. Uh, so when I was applying for colleges, I decided I wanted to start with something challenging and engineering seemed like a really great place to start. And when I was looking at all of the subcategories of engineering, uh, what I really liked about the plastics program at UMass Lowell is that it was a tight knit community that really helped people uh, after they graduated to get jobs and, and really stayed together uh, and partly through uh, the Society of Plastics Engineers. Uh, so when I went through the tour, uh, it was great to see all the hands-on stuff you got to do in school. Um, plus some of the professors knew me because they knew my dad. Um, so I ended up going through that, that program and then I just kept going. So I got my master's there and then I got the PhD all in plastics engineering. Um, my master's was concentrated in uh, medical device design and manufacturing. And my PhD got a little deviated from that. Um, and I ended up doing um, optical compounding. So taking a filler and a plastic and trying to make sure that the, they remain transparent while gaining new properties. Um, and my heart really stayed with the, the medical devices. Um, and so I guess my senior year, I ended up uh, working on a project with my now co-founder and starting non-spec in 2014. Yeah, there's so many things I want to like spiral off of that. But like the one thing I want to point out that you mentioned kind of in the beginning is like you weren't necessarily the best at math. I think that is the biggest misconception, like barrier, especially for like young kids. Um, and I hear it a lot. And like, I don't necessarily go out to like elementary schools and like, what do you like kids? But um, I hear it a lot when I do see, you know, younger kids say like, well, you know, I, I'm probably not that good at math. I, I couldn't, I could never be an engineer. And it's like, that's not, that's not your entry point. Like, yes, you have to have like some, you know, fundamentals and, but it's really the diligence, like you were saying, um, the ability to work around or work to something. And it's not like you have to be the best at math and science as, no. So I really appreciate that you said that. Absolutely. I, mean, I always like to highlight that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I was, I was, I mean, my, my, my mother like laughs that, that, you know, I work in this field now because I was so opposed to, to math and science. Um, so, so, um, and you have a PhD, so that's pretty cool. So not something I expected to do. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to get my master's and go into industry. And that's where my entire plan stopped. And I just had to learn to deal with question marks uh, and, and not knowing at all what I'm going to do. And it's been a lot more fun since then, I think. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's it, and and are already kind of going on tangents, but like dealing with question marks. I mean, I think that that's so much of, of what engineering is. It's figuring out solutions. You know, where the the um, the the answer is not immediately apparent. You know, and there's so many different paths to it, right? Erin, um, you were. I actually met you before Lindsay. Um, you were one of the first people. Um, in SPE that I met at the the um, Antec in Indianapolis, I believe um, it was the 
kind of the uh, it was the young professionals and, and students um, intro right um, before the gala. Um, how did you, that, that was like it was funny because it was my very first thing and I was hooked on SPE um, like from that event. But what what got you uh, into SPE and, and staying involved in it? Well, I have to say that I could not tell it was your first event because I think you introduced me to almost everyone in the room after I met you. And I really appreciate that. Um, I got involved with SBE just as a student. So it was the club to join and as a plastics engineer, of course. Uh, So I was kind of just involved in the background until the whole Antec thing came up. Uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity to to go um, and see the larger network beyond just our university. And um, and then eventually I kept going to Antecs and presenting posters and, and other such things. But uh, eventually I did one uh, pr- actual speaker presentation. Um, but I think what kept me hooked in there is that everyone is so welcoming and they recognize the that students are coming in and that they can easily leave and they want to keep them engaged in the industry and that SB is a great way to do that. So um, I think it was people like Mercedes being very friendly and introducing me to more people and then the people who um, have a lot of volunteer roles just Um, making sure that people continued to felt like they could step up and volunteer. Um, I think the thing that got me like super involved is that um, there was a a poster presentation, which there is every year at Antec for students. And the logistics one year was, were not really uh, high end. People kind of didn't know what was going on. There was some question about having digital posters or something. Um, And I was like, this is, kind of strange. I feel like it's not the the uh, SPE way. I feel like these students are not getting the same treatment and, and getting to know the right people. So I was like, can I help in some way make this better next year? Um, and I started talking to people. So I met Mercedes and um, also, I think you probably introduced me to Adam Cohen, who was in charge of the young professionals at the time. Um, and he connected me to the right people about the poster session. And then I was just sucked into the whole uh, volunteer whirlwind and um, meeting even better people as they all came in through the program. So um, it's been really wonderful to be involved with the, and now we've had different names. So we used to be the next generation group. Now we're the young professionals group, um, but um, it's been really great. Yeah, I think that's like the the underrated thing when you think about like SPE or like a professional society. Like, um, you know, I don't have a lot of friends in general um, and, you know, in professional societies. A lot of my friends aren't in an industry that has like a professional society. So, um, I mean, it's definitely looked at as like a nerdier thing. But when you get down to it, like the avenues I've been able to pursue, like whether it's for, you know, serving on like a, a board, you know, even serving on like the local Northwest PA chapter, like that's experience that you're gaining that, you know, you can apply anywhere else. Like uh, there's all these opportunities that just sit there waiting for someone to like come and take them on. And I mean, I can't think of a time I've ever said, I'd like to do this. And someone's like, no, (laughs) pretty much every time they're like, hell yeah, get out of here. Um, and you know, and then through that, the amount of people, like your network just 
spiders out like crazy. Yeah. And everyone is so generous, like with their, their knowledge, you know, I, um, I texted, well, Lindsay, like back before I, I really knew my way around an injection molder, like I'm starting to more now, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I was, so I was, you know, be running the injection molder back at, at previous company and, and Lindsay, I would text Lindsay and she would do gift consulting for me. She'd oh do this. And like, and Which put, I am going to, I am going to license that at some point and actually only do consulting through gifts. So I would, I would pay for that. So if you're interested, <laughs> you know, I think just a couple of days ago, I, I, I texted, uh, Greg, you know, from NJB with, with a question and it was just like immediate, like, oh yeah, here, you know, and, and you, and you, uh, meet so many people, especially going to Antec, right? You meet so many people um, in different fields of, of within plastics, right? Um, so, and you can always reach out to them because it's, you know, you can't be the master of, of every, every part of our industry. Right. Um, but anyway, um, so, so what, so you, you, you said that you started, um, non-spec in 2014. Is that right? Officially? Yes. <laughs> That's what and I mean. So that was, and that was before you finished school, right? Yeah. So I was still in my master's, uh, mm-hmm. when we actually incorporated, uh, and, it was because we were doing a lot of student competitions and then all of a sudden we had this money <laughs> we're like, uh, we should probably make a bank account for this instead of dealing with taxes and everything on a personal level. Um, and that was a, a really interesting challenge. I know I haven't said what non-spec is yet, but uh, I guess now. <laughs> um, so non-spec makes affordable, adjustable prosthetic limbs for amputees. So we have a patented uh, adjustable device that you can imagine is, I'm not going to put my foot up, but, um, connects to a foot and then to, uh, an amputee through a customized socket. Um, so we basically can take our, our device off the shelf and adjust it to fit any amputee in need and adjust it over time as they change and grow. Um, so my expertise from the plastics manufacturing side came into this and making the devices, um, injection moldable, um, for the most part and mass producible. Therefore we can keep the cost low. Um, and it, we started with hands, we moved to arms, we mostly do legs now. Um, but it's been an incredible experience. Um, and it was really awesome just using the background that I had in plastics, uh, to work on a real life product that I, that I got to take from, nothing to actually seeing people using the device and, and having it improve their lives. It, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, and I think for, for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with, with, um, with non-spec, um, when you say low cost, how, how does it compare to other prosthetics? So we are focused in developing countries, um, although with COVID, it, we've actually uh, taken to, to getting our launch in the U.S. coming up soon. Um, but devices can cost at ten to $50,000, and we can put this out there for a couple of hundred dollars, depending on the market that we're in. So orders of magnitude less expensive. Which just like blows my mind. Like how, like, I have never had an idea that has been useful to, I mean, my idea expansion has maybe been like useful to my family at best. Like yours is a global impact. (laughs) Like, um, I, I have never had an idea that good. I don't care 
we're always embarrassed by our guests. We are. Yeah. Like it's just a lot of like self-reflection and like, yeah. What are we with our lives? Yes. <laughs> well, you shouldn't be honestly. It's, it's the only reason that this has gotten out there is because we have the right team. We have put, get gotten the brain power from different people to make it happen. So it, it, it certainly wasn't my idea. I just helped with the, the manufacturing and design of it. Uh, and now I'm the COO. So we've, I've helped uh, in a lot of the fundraising process and I've had to gain a lot of business knowledge, which is something <laughs> I didn't get in school. Um, and uh, something that I definitely advise students and others to, to consider when they're, they're uh, choosing what to do with their career and their education. Right. So- I was, I was so blown away, but I think the first time that I saw you speak, uh, was it d- design and plastics or something in Detroit? Um, I, I was, I mean, you, you listen, like we've all been to, to a lot of pr- presentations in the industry and I was just completely blown away by um, what an amazing public speaker you are. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, how did you hone those skills? It's a good question. Um, I, I would say it started young. I, I was I was a lector at church, so reading in front of people, not my own words, but reading. Um, and then I also got involved in scouting. So um, I was as soon as I was old enough, I, I joined venturing, uh, which is a co-ed version of of Boy Scouts of America now Scouts BSA. Um, I've been involved in Scouts BSA ever since, um, and. I think that really got me my first taste of leadership. I went to my first meeting and they're like, do you want to be vice president? <laughs> I was like, okay. Why not? Uh, so I had to get used to, to talking to people. Um, and then, I don't know, I think I've always, I, I've never really been able to sit in a room and not share what's on my mind in a meeting setting. Um, and what I had to learn is how to um, and my co-founder is really good at this and has helped me a ton, um, is developing the right way to tell stories succinctly to kind of draw people's attention in and then tell them what you really want to tell them <laughs> and make sure they leave with the right message. Uh, so it's certainly taken a lot of practice, uh, but throughout the years, uh, starting in college, we did a lot of competitions where we were just pitching and it, sometimes it's 60 seconds. <laughs> Sometimes the first one was 20 minutes and it was way too much time for me. I'm much better on the shorter end. Um, and I love Q&A, but um, I, it takes a lot of time of watching yourself and realizing uh, how you can can better tweak what you do. And um, every time I, I get up and do a presentation, I can rip it apart still. <laughs> so it's always a journey. <laughs> There's, um, it, it's funny you say that because I personally love watching comedians in cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld because they kind of take this like formulaic approach to telling a joke or, you know, telling a bit um, with stand up. And the way they talk about it is like how you need to structure what you're saying to like tell the story, tell it succinctly, and then like, you know, close it. And it's just like, it, it kind of reminds me a lot of what you're saying with like how to do a presentation is you kind of have that same formula. It's just, you know, obviously slightly different content. Um, but I love, I love hearing the, you know, the bare bones approach to something like that. Yeah. And, and it's, 
it's also always challenging for me whenever I, I try to tune for a specific audience, but mm-hmm. that's the other key is knowing who is it that cares about what. So I did a, a presentation for my scout troop um, on Monday. And so I, I, I should have brought it up. I had my prosthetic with me. And so immediately they all had a bunch of questions in their head. So I was just like, what do you think my job is? <laughs> and, then, and just starting from there. So it, it totally depends who's there. Some people care about how the business model works. Some people care about the product and, and how we make it. Um, and some people just want to hear the, the, the stories of the patients that we, we see, which I love always infusing into presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, SPE actually just signed um, an agreement with um, this guy, Neil Thompson, for um, it's called Teach the Geek to Speak, which is a great name. And um, I, I've actually started going through his stuff to just, you know, kind of, you know, I'm not the best presenter. Um, and it, it's very interesting, like the refining for your audience and stuff like that. Like he has a whole breakdown of like, if you're talking to like the higher ups, if you're talking to like your technical people, if you're talking to like, you know, if you're at a, like a talk and you don't know who your audience is, like, this is how you tune it. And uh, I love, you know, it's stuff like that, that I would never have has never entered my mind. I mean, to some extent, like, obviously if I'm presenting to all engineers, that's one thing, but, you know, um, kind of those slight tunes and yeah, that's very intuitive that I just sailed right past. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, come, you know, making your own company obviously, um, is not something Mercedes and I have done, unless she owns a company secretly and hasn't told me, which would be very rude. Um, I, I would definitely tell you so that you got your act together and, and formed your own company, but no, that's I true. Don't. Yeah. That would go in the point for you column. Um, so like what, what types of struggles? I mean, to me, the idea of making my own company gives me like heartburn, anxiety, um, probably some other bodily upsetness, but like what, what were some of the biggest struggles that you, you encountered? What were some of the things that like you thought might be like, Oh, this is going to be a problem. It was like, no, that was fine. That was easy. (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess I think going into it, I didn't know what to expect. And that was probably slightly helpful on the anxiety end uh, just because it was kind of, I I had a potential job offer after graduation, but I, but I wanted to do my master's and it was kind of a drive. And I was like, all right, I can do my master's and try this company thing and see what happens. Um, and reflecting, there are lots of things that I could have done differently that might have changed how quickly my company grew. So that that's always interesting to note. But um, I think the biggest challenge that we had initially was because we have something that is low cost and that we are trying to really make that social impact with, it was deciding whether or not we should be a corporation or a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it was a lot of thought. So we had eight team members at the time. We only have three of that group now. Um, so the other thing was we were working with a bunch of friends uh, who were graduating and trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their lives. Um, and not everybody was necessarily on the same page. Um, So we really had to consider what our goals were, where we kind of saw ourselves in five years um, and 
and we didn't know if this would be something that would be long. <laughs> so um, we kind of were like, all right, we'll set deadlines like every six months or a year. And then something would happen and it would be very exciting again. And we'd be like, okay, maybe we can still do this. Um, we ended up deciding to, after soliciting a bunch of feedback from mentors to uh, establish a corporation because we felt that it was best um, to not have to rely on uh, grants and also be able to use our money appropriately in R&D um, and, and structuring like that seemed to be a best fit for us. Um, so that's what we did. We definitely had our team fall apart. As I mentioned, people were doing their own thing and some people graciously said, hey, look, I'm gonna go do my master's at a different university and we're, we're, we're good, right? Bye. <laughs> Um, and others, it was a lot rougher where we had to, to have conversations about, um, hey, we've we've been meeting every week and you've missed most of them and you haven't been holding up your end of the bargain type deal. Um, so when we officially incorporated, we had to make sure that we had specific rules in place. That's OK. Who is it that's actually making the decisions here? Um, who has control and who doesn't and how will we handle people when they, if they come in with, with new resources. Um, so getting all that squared away was very important and it was stressful working on the team issues. Um, I guess we had, I'm sure we had lots of things that we thought were stressful at the time and, and, and we're okay. I don't remember those as much, <laughs> I'll say. Um, but I guess the, the the second big decision we made is, and we kind of uh, ne didn't necessarily make it, we just kind of jumped in, uh, was to go to India as our first market. Um, so the university at the time had a program that let us study abroad there and, and get into our first clinics. So that's how we were got on the ground working in person with amputees and clinicians rather than just over the internet and phone calls, um, which is how we were kind of cold calling people prior to that. Um, and then oh, we have some quite a few failure stories, but I'll, I'll I would, uh, you're driving this, so I don't know what you want to ask. Oh, we're, we're never in charge. We are barely driving anything <laughs> in our lives. <laughs> so, so with, with, um, with all of that, and is there anything, you know, a point in time during the, the company growth process that you would go back and tweak if you could? Yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting to do a case study <laughs> if it was possible to do that, right? Go back in time and say, okay, what if we had gone for funding or started launch in the U.S. first? Because I can see, especially we've, we've done out all, all these potential options, right? All these avenues. What if we had just gone to a manufacturer instead of manufacturing ourselves? Because that's what we did. We insisted on doing that. Um and I think there's quite a few things that we would have handled differently now, but I'm not sure we would have had the knowledge to make that decision then. Mm -hmm. um, and so we try not to get too hard on ourselves about, about some of that. Um, but there's definitely times where I think the biggest thing is when we weren't confident enough about ourselves. And so we went with what someone else was telling us to do and reflecting we always had a gut feeling uh, because it's our industry we are the experts in our space we've we've 
can't find anybody else who knows adjustable prosthetics, right? Um, so what I, I try to do is remember those moments and say, no, I know what I know, and we need to trust ourselves and make the, the right decisions um, with that knowledge. That's, I think that's super insightful. Do you um, maintain a relationship with any of those early mentors or um, are you like, we're good now? <laughs> um, we do. They're, they're more um, like casual social relationships now, I would say, because so at the time when we started, we were we didn't start with the university. We are completely independent, but our network was the university. Uh, but the university was very early on in their entrepreneurial journey themselves, uh, trying to, to kind of build up uh, what they have is the, the Difference Maker program and things like that. Um, and what we realized later is that our mentors hadn't most for the most part hadn't started businesses and didn't understand the dynamics that we were working in. And I think they had somewhat more fear of letting us take jumps than we had. Um, and so um, we definitely have expanded our networks immensely. We, we started working with international groups that really helped us find the right people who had done the kind of things that, that we were working through. Um, so I just say that our mentor pool has changed and grown, uh, and we always try to maintain those relationships in general just because... Um, it's nice to to be able to connect those people to the right people at the right times. And if, if they're not helpful to us, that doesn't mean they're not going to help someone I'm going to run into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as, as you were growing um, and kind of in this, probably I'm guessing mindset of like, are we doing the right thing? Then you started winning a lot of awards. How many, how many awards have you actually won? I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Maybe 50. We, we have about $2 million in. Drag it up, man. <laughs> Go for it. Do it. Uh, Fit five zero. I said, no, we, we have $2 million that we've raised through equity free, um, through grants and competitions. We've at least gotten 15 awards. Oh, 15, 15. One five. Okay. I feel better. Yeah. About um, so we only have 14 I, more to go, Mercedes. <laughs> so we, we did a bunch when we were students, um, a lot of student competitions and pitch competitions, but we were relatively strategic. So, so we picked out ones that tested our, our engineering. So we went to the ASME iShow award. Um, and that was the first time that I, I, we practiced so much. <laughs> they had an amazing judging panel and I got up and, uh, my co-founder and I were pitching at the same time. Like we, we went back and forth or one of us took over halfway through and I blacked out like, I got off the stage and I was like, I have no idea what I just said because I had practiced so hard. It just came out of me. Wow. Um, and, and we we won that one. That was that was the that was our a good first blackout. <laughs> my, my blackouts don't usually yeah. end up like that. Mine are like a taco lesson. It's never happened again. No. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying maybe I don't practice as much anymore. I don't know. Um, but uh, we did uh, another student program, uh, Venture Well, that really got me my first taste of all the business side of things that I needed. Business model canvas, understanding um, what we needed in our foundation to be successful. Um, some of the later ones uh, that have been incredible are, are more 
larger networks. So Mass Challenge, Boston, uh, that really accelerated our, our business. So we were there for three months and it felt like we did at least a year, if not two, of, of what our company needed. Like it pushed us into sales. Um, so getting the right people and the right pieces at the right time, plus more funding uh, always helps. Um, and then there are two other, well, three other. <laughs> so um, we got the Patents for Humanity Award. Um, that was during 2020. So I feel like it was really strange because it was just online and it pre-recorded. Um, but that was really nice to know that they feel that our technology is really making an impact. Um, and then we have two international um, networks that we're a part of. One is um, by Siemens Stiftung. Um, so they're the, the Empowering People Award. So now we're part of their network um, and we get together once, despite when COVID's not happening, uh, once a year in a different location with an international network just to have peer-to-peer -peer sessions where we talk about all the challenges that we have working in developing countries and, and uh all of that. Um, and then the Cartier Women's Initiative Award um, was uh, back in, it was four years ago, uh, but we, they just had their 15-year reunion. So they brought us to Dubai actually last week. Um, I don't know when this, um, last month we'll say. <laughs> and this will uh, post on uh, April first. So, okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> last month. And uh it was spectacular. So they've they've had 15 years of women from around the world who they've recognized for their their business initiatives. Um, and we had a reunion and just got to reconnect with that network in person. Um, and it was the energy was incredible. How uh, we had you even sit in a room with people like that incredible. <laughs> like I would just be. I mean, granted, I haven't started a company. Maybe if I started a company, I'd feel a little bit better. But I would be like, nope, this is not for me. I will take it. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I am not good enough for this. I, I think it's, it's just everybody there is so, so open with their information and challenges and, and network. Um, and it's, it's just really awesome to see everybody that, there are women around the world really making changes and then helping to inspire other women. And a lot of them there over the 15 years, so like, like a third of them are now in the medical space. So they're really pushing the, the, the STEM side of things and, and um, getting the right judges on the panel to, to really um, help be the most effective to, to give feedback to the, the uh, participants. So, um, and, and they, um, so in Dubai, they had the closing of the women's pavilion. So they sponsored the women's pavilion at the expo, the world expo. Um, and so they had, and I can send you the YouTube link if you want to put it in the show notes, but they had this crazy production with some amazing speakers and just talking about how women can do everything. And it's, it's it was amazing. I mean, I was just living uh, vicariously through your Snapchats and I was like, I need to be there. I want to be there. Like that looks so amazing. And like, especially yes. to have such a good celebration about women in, you know, it, it's, it, I mean, yes, it's women's history month. So that's probably why they timed it that way, but that's, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of like, yay, women can do it. And then everybody's just like, 
goes back to their lives. And to know that there are, you know, women like you that are just like killing it. And there's a whole collection of you guys out there and you are killing it and continually killing it and like making this world a better place. Like, I just want to like force stream that onto everyone's like computers. Is that, that's slightly illegal, right? Also, I don't know. I don't know. I I need help on the social media end. I was like, I have so many posts I should have made. (laughs) I'm like reposting everyone else's. This works. (laughs) Yeah, it it surprises me how many times like there's big events like that, and only like a small fraction of people know about it. And it's with despite how connected we all are. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, we we all still miss so much in the world. And I think I think there's a lot of like. Um, people miss out on the significance of some events um, just because we are all so connected. So it's like, you know, <laughs> oh, Aaron won another award. She's up to like 75 now. Like, you know, I don't think people realize like what a big freaking deal you are. Like, And I don't mean that in the sarcastic way. I mean it in the genuine, like you are the person that when I'm like trying to be like, oh, I've really like cultured and cool friends. I throw your name out there 100%, 100%. every yeah. time. Um, I, am I remember, really, remember my, my jerk. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Let's I was just saying, I'm just blatantly abusing our friendship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I remember my jerk uh, ex-boyfriend, right. Who was like him. always like jealous. <laughs> yeah. We're always jealous. Like when I'd go off to these events and he's like, Oh, like, like this stuff doesn't matter. Like who, like, what are the people do there? Like, are they making like limbs for babies? And I was like, Actually, yes. Actually, great yes. news. <laughs> it was just oh, like was crazy. I have never seen so much egg on an individual's face as that. <laughs> it was like it was like yes, yes, absolutely. Um, well, I, I'm just going to throw out here that I, I um, have been fighting imposter syndrome, uh, and I know that's something that a lot of women go through, especially from through academia. And so, like, you're like telling me I have all these awards, and I'm like. Do I? I don't. I don't let myself think about that, and I'm I'm trying to change that. <laughs> well, and I think that's something that you know. And again, just streaming down a tangent here. Um, I think that's something that women are somewhat conditioned to have this imposter syndrome because, especially women in STEM, there's a lot of um, you know just the small slights or the. I, Aaron and I were kind of talking about this earlier is, you know, like the, oh, math's really hard. Like, good for you. Or like, you're, you're an engineering, like that's, that's really good for you. I didn't, I didn't think you, you know, I didn't know you would be able to handle that. Or like, can you do all that math or, you know, stuff like that. And it's those little, those little slights, those little microaggressions, right? Yeah. Those microaggressions that, you know, kind of take away a lot of our, you know, think back to when you were like a little kid. Like at five years old, like if you would have told me that, I'd be like, what? You're a stupid duty head. Like I can do that. Like, And and as I grew up hearing all those things um, and, you know, I'm in no, by no means a worst case scenario, like hearing those things, it takes away a little bit of your, like your self, your perceived self-worth because you're, you're hearing it and you're like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not the best at it. It's okay. And like, you know, it, it, it is hard to like, kind of skirt around the the imposter syndrome because there's so many people ready to be like you're not good enough or like yeah math is hard for your little tiny brain 
listen, I got a big head. This fits a big brain in it. <laughs> Thank you very much. But I think it's also, you know, um, the more you learn, the more you realize you, you don't know, right? Um, yes, that's so important mm-hmm. to recognize what you don't know. Yeah. But um, it makes me feel a lot better that um, even Aaron Keeney has imposter syndrome. Right. I am asleep a little bit better tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, COVID helped uh, diffuse it a little bit when I was like, oh, all these people who are like always doing what they do when they can't do what they do, they don't handle it well. (laughs) At least I know I can handle crazy things that (laughs) come up. Which is a skill set in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we were kind of talking about like some of your mentors having like more fear in the beginning of your process um, with non-spec. What would you say, like, even like with family, friends, um, you know, peers, what was the split of like your encouragers and your doubters? I got to know. That changed from minute to minute, it felt like. <laughs> um for the most part, early on, people were like, cool and supportive. And then when we started like getting really serious about it, they're like, what? And it was more that so many people didn't understand what we were doing and why. And even family members, like one minute you'd be like, like you talk to them through something and they're like, okay, yeah, I get that. And then the next conversation, it's like, did you forget get what we talked about? Um, so it's been really challenging. Um, and I think that's the really important part about the networks that we've been growing is, is connecting with more people who understand this stuff because from a day to day, uh, sometimes you just don't want to explain all of the, the background. You just want to talk about one challenge that you had. Um, overall people have been supportive. I mean, when you go to a presentation and, and you have even your prototype or your actual product out there, you'll still have people who like, well, that's not possible. <laughs> like, okay, well, I'm showing you that it's not. But here it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the biggest problem we had from getting people to believe standpoint was actually our price point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, you've all had to sit. Well, at least Lindsay has had to sit and do all the math out of like, how much will this mold cost? (laughs) How much will each part cost? And, and when, when you're sitting there and you've done all that and you're like, Oh, this part is less than 15 cents. Like, like, so if I do that and I have automation, I'm reusing a bunch of the parts. So I'm making a multiple parts of the same thing. I can do my entire thing in a family mold. Maybe not the best long-term, but I can do it. And if I go through all the math, I'm like, yeah, I have a 95% margin. And people go, no, that's not possible. Your medical device company, whatever. If I say 75, 80, they still are skeptical. And I'm like, but I've proven it so many times. I don't know what else. I I don't know what. literally have the math. I literally, do you want to come see this? Like you can weigh the parts if you want. (laughs) Exactly. So it's just really frustrating sometimes when you're like, like believe in the stuff that I was trained in, at least like I can show you this. Um, But Overall, when, once you, you start crawling your way through it, people have more and more confidence in you as you kind of prove that out. Um, um, my company has been, as I said, bootstrapped. Uh, so, so we don't have any 
other person bringing any money that we have to serve a direction to. Um, and that definitely makes our company go slower and we're totally open to funding. <laughs> um, but here, put that in the show notes. <laughs> um, but it would, and, and that's one of those things looking back, it's like, okay, if we had taken money, how would that have changed our, our pro- projection? And maybe we would be working in less in developing countries, but maybe we'd be more, in higher sales and whatnot. So there's always all these things and not everybody you talk to agrees on what pathway you're choosing. Um, so my mom would have definitely liked it if I was a nonprofit instead, just, <laughs> we both know that. Um, but in general, uh, we, I, I'm feel very lucky to have a lot of support around me. So you started. Uh, you started in India, and, and your travel with Nonspec has has been insane. Where where all have you been? Ah, that, that's been one of my favorite parts about Nonspec. Besides helping people, getting to actually go to the places to help people has been wonderful. Um, so I've spent like two months in India, diff- traveled around different parts as well. Um, prim- primarily, most of the time was in Hubli, which is outside of Bangalore. Um, I was able to go to a conference in China and do a presentation there. Um, so in Beijing, um, with the international groups that I was talking about, I've been to, um, let's see, Egypt. Um, I've spent about two weeks in Rwanda doing um, a workshop to train all the prosthetists in, uh, from each of the clinics in Rwanda all at once. That was really exciting. Um, and I have a whole list of countries because I can't remember things in my head. Um, so most recently, Dubai. Um, I spent a month in London. Uh, that was at the Red Cross working in a program that they had. Um, and then I tend to try to go to Europe before going to the other side of the world as a nice stopover. Um, so I spent a lot of time in uh, New Year's in Paris and uh, went to Amsterdam the last year. Uh, so 2020, I guess I was there through January 2020 before everything shut down. Um, I missed at least three international trips um, over the course of COVID. And I was I'm just very happy to have gotten to go last month to Dubai. So, so I mean, you do a lot of travel. What I mean, your company obviously hasn't gone like all the pot while you've been gone. What what kind of like systems do you have in place? What kind of people? What's your team like? Yeah. Uh, so we had a, a team in the U.S., a core team of three, as I mentioned, from the, the core eight, <laughs> the original eight to the core three. Um, so that's my co-founder. Um, and then we have uh, Brendan, who is... He sometimes travels with us. And when he's not, he is the best person to have in the lab to get us anything that we forgot or need videos and pictures of. Um, and uh, we also have sort of established teams in various locations that we work in. So I haven't been able to visit the Philippines, but we have a team who's very interested in working with us there. So they, they've been uh, doing a lot of the market research and uh, connecting with prosthetists. Uh, uh, we have a, a group in Rwanda who's been working with us um, to coordinate all the, the trainings that I talked about. Uh, and we have a team in India, uh, which COVID has been very challenging for um, that we can rely on to 
uh, work on the ground there. So we kind of have this crazy uh, splintered international network, but from any given point in time, it's three of us up, up to about 12 or so. Uh, and we do take interns um, through the Mass Life Sciences program uh, that lets us get reimbursed for interns, which is <laughs> awesome. Um, uh, so when we have the capability to do so and when we're in the, in the country for long periods of time, we can do that sometimes. And that's been helpful as well. What's, um, oh, go ahead. Go for it. I was just gonna say, like, I have, have there been any, like, really, like, good projects that they've, you know, taken on and just kind of demonstrate your nimbleness of your team? Yeah, I think the, the biggest one that we're proud of right now is our COVID response. Um, so in March of 2020, when we were all hearing about the PPE shortage, um, my team was able to act really quickly on face shields. Um, and it was a culmination of all the things that we've done for our product, uh, put on face shields and all in a really condensed amount of time. So our, our product takes a ton of testing. Uh, we have to cycle test for four years of walking um, and we have to design for all of the, the forces that that are go through the leg in any given point in time. With face shields, it's very uh, <laughs> simplified on what we need to do. Um, but the biggest thing is we were seeing that everybody was 3D printing the, the face shield uh, visor piece. And that takes a really long time. It has a lot of failures in 3D printing a lot, and it takes a lot of the material. Um, and so what we did uh, was we, we took the, the top 3D printed design piece and we redesigned it to be injection moldable. And we actually were able to uh, design the mold. Uh, we, we had a, our other uh, friend from UMass, a little contractor, come in to help us as well. And just me, my co-founder and him all worked on this and um, cut the, the mold pieces, got it in press at, at UMass Lowell. We were just kind of, they're like, you can have access and <laughs> use some lab material. <laughs> they're like, okay. So we went in and we started injection molding the face shield visors. Um, we got a um, relationship with one of the maker spaces who had gotten a big donation from Coca-Cola of the PET film for the actual shield itself. So we were, we got a whole bunch of rolls of that and we're laser cutting. Uh, so Brendan, who I mentioned before, was laser cutting all those pieces to fit the design that we had made. And we were able to make hundreds for our local community that we were donate and to donate. And it only took us two weeks to go through that whole process. Wow. Uh, so we were donating those. And then we also gave that design away internationally through our network. So we were able to make thousands of these across the world. Um, and the timeline that I mentioned in that two week window, we were, we were like on par with, and sometimes beating some of the big companies that were getting PP out, PPE out there. So that was just an incredible experience of like all of our knowledge. And we had taken like the mold, uh, insert component that we were going to use for our, our limb and had been prepping and we're like, all right, we'll use it for this. Um, so we were able to do those donations, um, sell a few at cost, and, and we're able to break even, which was really awesome. That's and we also knew when to stop because we got out before the flood of all the big companies coming in and taking over. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, and that, I think that's the really highlights how like great your team is because, you know, that ability to take those initial weeks and, you know, capitalize on them as opposed to um, like other companies. I know like the, some of the bigger companies are like, yeah, we're, we're totally doing it. And it's like, okay, somebody's got to sign off and somebody's like, best friend's mom's got to sign off and then they got to like, you know, sign off on this, you know, stealing a mold from themselves or, you know, whatever. And, you know, someone's signing off on the schedule. And I just saw a lot of very, um, I mean, overall, obviously the industry's response was pretty incredible, but like your, yours was an example of just like, we're going to do it. We have, if we just turn the ship around, we got it. Um, whereas that's not necessarily always the demonstrated case. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it was crazy to see kind of what people did with different resources. Um, I think the nimbleness of the startup was, was really thrived in that environment. That was exciting. Absolutely. So uh, you mentioned being able to use the space at, at UMass Lowell and you uh, teach there Um do you, when you, when you're teaching, are you, are you like actively like scouting for, for new talent for non-spec? <laughs> um, sometimes I, I mean, I definitely collect resumes from those in the class who are interested. Uh, so when we, uh, I can kind of track people and see how they do, where they move. Uh, and that's just to see how, how good the students are doing, but also, um, some people are really passionate about the the prosthetics and they come into my class and they want to do that as their project. And I was like, you don't want me grading your project in prosthetics, um, but I appreciate it. And I'll talk a lot about it. Um, but yeah, I, unfortunately I can't take as many interns as I would like, but uh, we definitely um, uh, take resumes and, and uh, keep in touch with people. Do you, what kind of like knowledge do you pass on to these, you know, young students, especially like, I mean, I think as if I, if you were, I, I know I'm older than you, but if you were my professor, I would be wildly intimidated by you. Um, because as I've clearly stated, you are super badass and like, but like, you've also like your equal parts, like badass and like have everything to back it up. So I would just be like, Oh, I can't talk to her. And I would be like, I'm just going to sit quietly, let her grade my stuff and hope she never calls me up. So like, what, what do you, like, what kind of knowledge do you impart on these, you know, the youths of America? Uh, so the students who take my class are usually, um, well, so it's, it's a technically a grad class, but it's mostly undergrads who take it because they're trying to get ahead and do the five-year masters. Um, but I, it, I, so it's normally engineers from mechanical plastics and biomedical engineering. And what I'll say is so they used to know me now, nowadays, not so much because they used to know me from the program. Um, I also took the classes that I now teach, which is interesting. And I've changed them a whole lot because, because we, so I don't actually teach a lot about plastics because that's the, the background that a lot of them have. So what I actually do is I take what they know and I show them how to infuse it with business concepts so that then they can figure out what, what a company cares about, 
how to know what's important for their job, for the company to succeed so that then they can boost their career by making the right moves and the right decisions. Um, for So when the students don't know me ahead of time, um, I put a little paragraph about me in the syllabus, but not a lot of people <laughs> read the syllabus. So they, they mostly meet me on day one and I'm just who I am. I'm talking to you. This is kind of how I teach. Um, I just engage with them, ask them questions um, and try to learn from them just as much as they're learning from me. Um, so I have them talk about experiences in their internships um, and uh, talk about so I teach medical device design and regulation. Um, so a lot of them have had internships in, in all sorts of spaces. And I talk to them about how the decisions that are made within their products that they're working on um, relate and how sometimes those are regulated in different ways. Um, I also have definitely had students that are much older than me. Um, and sometimes that can intimidate them, but I think I, I, I just try to, keep things more in a casual way um, to kind of break those barriers down. And that, that's worked in the past. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think I enjoy teaching just because it, it, it gets me to understand um, kind of new mindsets. And so I'm teaching them a new mindset that I'd like them to consider. And they're also sharing with me different ways to think about the world. And, and that's really great. Yeah. And I remember um, a couple of years ago, back, you know, when we were still doing trade shows before COVID, uh, just meeting some UMass Law students. And I said, oh, like, do you know Erin Keeney? And then they were immediately like, oh, she's our celebrity. Like she's, she's the celebrity of UMass. I was like, that's right. <laughs> I, they have so many photos of me. I was called, called the most photographed girl in plastics. <laughs> it's like, uh, it, but it's crazy. Cause I don't even know ahead of time where my face will be. So I was like in an ad, like teeny sliver, but just my face during an ad during the Macy's day parade. <laughs> so I had like, no my, my cousin was like, Oh my gosh, my kid is like, want it, like super ecstatic to see you on TV. And then when we saw him later, like at a family gathering, he wouldn't talk to me because he thought I was famous. <laughs> I mean, oh but like I ended beautiful. up in the EE catalog. Don't know how that happened. I like it. But <laughs> it's weird. But um, I think I, I really like staying involved with the, the plastics program um, and, and kind of doing what I joined the program for. I mentioned like that we have a tight network and that we kind of help each other out. And so I like to stay involved with that and make sure I'm helping students. I, I go and talk um, at the, well, sometimes SPE, but they, they have a gra graduate student union group as well. Um, and share my experience and my career decisions to kind of help people decide um, different things that they can do that they might not necessarily think about naturally. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's one of the beauties of all the, you know, little plastic schools. Like, yeah, obviously, I wish there were like a zillion more plastic schools, because obviously, um, that's something the industry in general needs. But there is like a real beauty to having these small, you know, tight knit 
um, classes. Like I know, you know, I'm still in touch with all my, um, my colleagues, class, classmates, poof. Um, and, uh, you know, and I still, I still keep, I mean, obviously I live in Erie, so it's not a hard stretch, but, you know, I still see a lot of my old professors, um, on a regular basis. And, you know, it's nice to, even from, even though I'm, you know, not in a point where I'm like looking for an intern or anything like that, because my company is not even based here in uh, Erie, but it's, it's nice to, you know, kind of know what's going on with the program. I actually serve on the um, advisory board, the industry advisory board for Penn State's plastic program, because it's nice to kind of, you know, drive where that, that knowledge is being headed, being headed. Definitely. I'm over one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, now your other, other, other job, which yeah. I don't want to do, um, you're in cell and gene therapy, which is kind of what I'm in too now. So yeah. Mercedes, I'm going to take the point on this. Um, oh, no, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I can be in cell and gene therapy. I, I have, you know, let me just Google something real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you can't get as wild with your colors. And, <laughs> um, no, no. and you know, so obviously it, it is, you know, you, you have that non-spec, you know, medical background to also play into what you're doing now, but how has a switch from like, it, it's not, it isn't, it, it's an industry change. I mean, if you put it black and white, it's an industry change, but at the end of the day, like no industry, especially one in a field that's going to have plastics is going to get away from plastic. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you're, you're never going to totally avoid it. So how have, have you found that switch while still like maintaining that like piece of plastic? Yeah, it's definitely been challenging because I'm also so more kind of on the business side, the strategy piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm kind of keeping appraised of all the new stuff that's going on. Like that's, that's cell energy therapy is an intensely fast moving space and it's so exciting and really cool. And it's amazing to see the, the scientific advances that we're making. I mean, the COVID-19 vaccines were a, a huge scientific, like, feat that we were able to do everything safely and robustly in such a um, efficient, effective way. And it shows you that with the right people behind the right things, we can do that. So we can solve diseases. Like we can do that. And we have science showing that this is actively happening. Um, And I think the there's the business piece of where you need to have competition in order to do well, but also we need to have that collaboration to make it happen as well. Um, and I, I think what's interesting in, in keeping the plastics there is in the cell and gene therapy space, everything is moving to towards single use, mm-hmm. which is conflicting, right? <laughs> You're like, okay, so that means a lot more plastic. Okay. But also that means plastic waste and it's plastic waste that is touching biologics and, blood and all sorts of other things, right? So 
there needs to be an effort. And I'm actually, so the, the bio forum group has a specific plastics uh, sub segment that I, I just was able to join. So um, I'm thing. getting involved with this. <laughs> now I got to get involved in that. <laughs> I'll send you the details. Um, so I think your company is actually involved. Uh, I'll check. Um, so, <laughs> so we need to like work through, okay, how is it that we can recycle materials that are being used in these ways? And also the reason why single use is more effective and um, is because the sterilization process mm-hmm. goes through a lot of water, a lot of harsh chemicals that can hurt the environment. So it's not just what is the base material that we're using and what happens to it? There's so many things and water usage is, is a huge part of all um, life cycle analysis. But uh, there's, it's so much more complex than just uh, it's, it's plastic. Right? From like my perspective, I've seen a lot of more. I mean, I've seen a lot more flexibility and where like people or companies can actually like build like I, cause I deal with the, right now I'm dealing with the hardware end of it. So I'm dealing with the big bioreactors, big mixers. And like with the, you know, with the single use, um, setup, you know, you're not tied into, yes, it's still a lot of equipment. You can't just go moving it around hither and thither, but you know, you, you, with the, you know, old school stainless steel systems, like you have all your piping, like you can't, you cannot move it for anything. Like this gives a lot more flexibility, a lot more breathing room. Um, and like, it, I, I guess, uh, and I could be totally wrong on this, but um, someone was kind of saying like, it's, it's given a lot of like other countries who may not have had like the regulation allowances for like a full stainless steel system to start putting in, um, you know, like standard, like priest that, um, my company does a lot of like pre, I, I call them, um, model homes, but that's not at all. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure nobody would appreciate that. But the model home, like prefab, like here's your factory. And like, that isn't something you can do in the stainless steel model, at least in my understanding. Someone's going to write in and be like, you are super wrong. <laughs> oh, but it's true. I mean, so countries who are getting into the cell and gene therapy field and all the other kind of fields like that are just skipping so many technologies by leaps and bounds that, that we've been working with for years because they're inefficient. They're maybe not as automated. They need a lot of training and they're trying to get to that flexible, fast, customized, we can do autologous therapies now like it and all of that is enabled due to plastic and it's amazing to see that and I think that's why I've always been drawn to the medical field and the life sciences field is because it at the end of the day and one of my old bosses actually said that to me he's like well people are like how do you always deal with all the plastic that you're in like isn't it so bad for the and he's like I'm helping people treat people save lives like it's not like necessarily super direct but it it makes that impact and I I really enjoy being in this field because of that and I know that we will solve the environmental challenges that we have ahead of us with with plastic and in general global warming so um it's an exciting time to be in the field for sure 
Well, Dr. Aaron Keeney, we certainly enjoy having you in the field as well. That's <laughs> um, uh, so. So, where can we find out about uh, your company and any anything else that you're doing? Because I didn't even know that you were working in cell and gene therapy. How do we keep up? Um, <laughs> find you again. I'm really bad at social media, but you can find <laughs> the company at nonspec.org, uh, and you can also find my LinkedIn Aaron Keeney PhD on and. I can send you the link if you want. Um, and that has the stuff that I do. Sometimes there's things posted there, uh, but I'm bad at posting. So I guess we'll have to just. <laughs> well, you just more. send your stuff to us. We'll just repost it for you. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, it's been absolutely awesome. Um, like, like Mercedes said, we, we adore you. So thank you so much. It was so good talking with you both. And I hope we can stay in touch more often. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin, is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, SPE.org. Oh. Plastics.